Continuing this series, Take a Letter, and our scripture lesson today, once again from Ephesians, and once again from Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message, for another week or so, and then we'll move in some different directions. But Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. Ephesians five fifteen and following. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the spirit of God. Huge drafts of him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God the Father in the name of our Master, Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. We won't deal with all that passage today. There's parts of it, but uh, I thought that's an interesting reference there to being careful about singing drinking songs, especially when some of the early hymns of the church were adapted to tunes that were known as drinking songs. So uh, we can talk more about that another time, perhaps. (laughs) But our Take a Letter Summer Sermon series is drawing to a close. We'll wrap up on September 29th. And uh, be the last Sunday for a while anyway to talk about letter writing and letter receiving and the difference that letters make in our lives. I hope that something that has been read or said or done over these past several weeks has been helpful to you in some small way. Preparing each week has caused me to re-examine some of my thoughts about letter writing and letter receiving and Paul's letters and other letters that help as I hope to continue the journey. A journey that we know as God's people never ends. Now today's passage comes from the next to the last chapter of the book of Ephesians and probably to others who are nearby. Remember Ephesians written not just to one congregation in one place but to several congregations, a circular letter passed around, shared among many churches in that day. The opening verse of that passage suggests our theme for the day, make the most of every chance, every opportunity that you get. Opportunity. Powerful word, a meaningful word, a thought-provoking word, a suggestive word in a good way. But before we explore that word, I want to share with you one more letter or a portion of a letter from one of the most significant collections of letters ever written, letters and papers from prison, the letters that were written and compiled later primarily by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And we've talked about him before and referred to him before, especially when it comes to letter writing. A young German pastor executed in 1945 for his part in the, quote, officer's plot to eliminate Adolf Hitler. The letter that I want to share with you was written from prison on April the 14th, 1943. We're going to read a portion of this letter, talk about a few other things, and circle back around to it. So hang on to these thoughts if you can, or if you, if you will. Dear parents, he wrote, I do want you to be quite sure that I'm all right. I'm sorry that I was not allowed to write to you sooner, but... The first 10 days were, were very busy. We were 
involved in a lot of things. Strangely enough, the discomforts that one usually associates with prison life, the physical hardships hardly bother me at all. I can even have enough to eat in the mornings with dry bread. The hard prison bed does not bother me one bit, and I'm allowed to sleep any time between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. A violent mental upheaval such as is produced when one is arrested suddenly brings one's mental bearings and affects those and you have to come to terms with an entirely new situation. All this means that physical things take a back seat and lose much of their importance and it's something that I find to be a real enrichment of my experience. I'm not so unused to being alone as other people are and it's certainly a good unusual term he uses, a good spiritual Turkish bath. The only thing he said that bothers me or would bother me is the thought that you are bothered and your anxiety about me. That says something about his character, doesn't it? He's more concerned with the way his loved ones are feeling outside the prison walls than he is concerned with his own sense of being within the prison walls. Selfishness has such a foothold with so many folks. Forgive me, he said, for causing you so much worry. But I think a hostile fate is more to blame than I am. To set off against that, it is good to read Paul Gerhardt's hymns and learn them by heart as I am doing now. Beside that, I have my Bible and some reading material from the prison library in pencil and paper. You can imagine that I'm most particularly anxious about my fiance at the moment. It's difficult for her to hear especially when she has only recently lost her father and her brother to war in the East. As the daughter of an officer, she will probably find my imprisonment hard to take. If only I could have a few words with her. Now you'll have to do it. Perhaps she'll come to Berlin. That would be okay. The 75th birthday celebrations were a fortnight ago, two weeks ago. I can still hear the chorale that we sang in the morning and evening with all the voices and instruments. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Shelter thee under his wings, so gently sustain it. That's true. And we must always rely on that, he wrote. Spring is really coming now. You'll have plenty to do in the garden. Here in the prison yard, there's a thrush which sings beautifully in the morning and now has started to sing in the evening as well. I'm grateful for little things, and that's surely a gain. Goodbye for now. I'm thinking of you and the rest of my family and friends with gratitude and love. You're Dietrich. Oh, my, forgive me. That portion of the letter took a little longer than I thought, but it moves me so when I read his letters and think about his circumstances. That detour did take a while, but let's move on now. This take a letter series and see if we can begin to finish that out in our word for the day the word that came to me through this scripture the word in the scripture was chance and I, I hear that as the word opportunity how do we recognize it how do we keep from missing it how long will that window stay open some folks fail to recognize opportunity it has been said because it often comes disguised as hard work some folks miss it because they talk way more than they listen. One of my favorite missed opportunities stories, and let me, I don't think I've, I've told you this one, about a young seminary student who had a date with a, a young woman, and he was pretty excited about going out with her. And they went out to eat, and then they went to the park, and they walked, and they were sitting on a bench. 
And he was wondering, what in the world am I going to talk about? He was so afraid he couldn't think of anything to say. And then he thought about his classes at seminary, and he thought about one of the last classes he had sat through had to do with the end of time, with the hereafter. And so he started, and he talked about the hereafter, and he talked about it, and he talked about the hereafter, and finally she elbowed him, and she said, listen, let me say this to you. If you're not hereafter what I'm here after, then you're going to be here after I'm gone. <laughs> Don't live carelessly. Thinking, not thinking, the writer of Ephesians says, make sure you understand what the master wants. What does the master Jesus want? What does he want from us? What are the opportunities before us individually and together as families and together in a larger sense as God's church family here? What are the opportunities before us? Some of these opportunities may have passed us by and we sometimes surmise, well, they're gone forever. After all, haven't we always heard opportunity only knocks once? But is that true? Walter Malone, in a short verse, questions that assumption. I think it's something we need to think about. He said, they do me wrong, and this is opportunity actually speaking. They do me wrong who say I come no more. When once I knocked and failed to find you, for every day I stand out your door, outside your door, and bid you wake and rise and shine and fight and win. Opportunity is not just a one-time thing. Opportunities for you and me. They're not to be viewed only in our rear view mirrors. My outlook is brightened when I read quotations like this one from a guy named Burton Braley. He said, with doubt and dismay, you are smitten. You think there's no more chance for you, my child. Why, the best books have not been written. The best races have not been run. Window of opportunity. Most of you have heard that phrase more than once. Maybe you've used that phrase this past week. For a few moments now, I want us to consider four. I think I've got four here. I want us to consider windows of opportunity that are open for each of us, family and friends, and also together as God's church. One open window is the opportunity to give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is recorded as saying, this is a large work I've called you into, but don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cup of cool water to someone, for instance. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice, a true disciple. How often do we feel so overwhelmed by the enormity of need all around us that we just sort of shut down and decide we're going to shut down and sit down and do nothing because it just overwhelms us, overflows us. Jesus offers us the option of starting small, a cup of cold water, or in our time, maybe a bottle of water to someone who's thirsty. Maybe it's the person cutting your grass or delivering your mail or someone seeking refuge under a bridge on a dog day afternoon. A cup of water, a bottle of water. But let's not let literalism box us in at this point. I don't think he was just talking about a cup of cold water. I think he's talking about any act on our part that meets a crying human need in this world. A ride to the grocery store or the doctor's office 
someone to sit with through a chemo session, a lunch packed freely and willingly and given away with great joy, maybe a church building or parts of a church building becoming shelter for a family who has no shelter. You've probably thought of a hundred other things where a cup of cold water can be given. You can make a difference. Another open one is the opportunity to speak or to write an encouraging word. Encouragement has been called oxygen to the soul. I'm a desk drawer and a box up in the top of my closet where I keep notes and letters received from folks across the years and the months and the days. Encouraging words written by kind and gracious people. And I sometimes take those back out and read those words when I need to be encouraged, when I need to breathe again. Have you thought of anyone who might be blessed by your words of encouragement at this point? Anyone? How will you deliver bright words of encouragement into the dark corners of someone's heart? An email? Well, maybe. A phone call? A handwritten note, maybe a visit, actually, where you look somebody in the eye, face to face, heart to heart, make a difference. Maybe somebody who's here today and you know about some things going on and you can help. Don't delay. You never know who's suffering from some sort of spiritual COPD, who's down emotionally and mentally and spiritually. Windows can close without warning. Don't wait too long. Still another window open that brings opportunity is the opportunity to practice generosity. Mickey and I, as part of our devotional life and our prayer life, often pray that God will show us those places and people, opportunities to be generous to others. I will tell you this, don't pray that prayer unless you're ready to do something about it. God will answer that sort of prayer in the church and in the grocery store and by the side of the road. One of the great truths of our Christian faith that I don't think I can say too much, too often, too loud, we are blessed to be a blessing. Children of Israel, that's why the nation of Israel came into being to bless the rest of the world. That's why God created God's church, that we might be a blessing to this world that God loves so much he gave an only son. We are designed by our creator to be channels, to be conduits, shaped so that what flows to us will flow through us, flow through us to others who are struggling and running short especially those who are short on hope. And there are a lot of those folk in this world. If the primary desire of our hearts is to maintain and to control, to have and to hoard, then we will soon be deader than the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea died because it does not have an outlet. Spiritual obesity represents a grave threat to our spiritual life and that happens when we get so concerned about being fed that we fail to feed others. We are blessed to be a blessing. Yet another open window is the opportunity to share the faith that 
holds us and molds us and emboldens us to live as disciples of the crucified and the risen one. How do we share that faith? I'm aware that anytime someone mentions faith sharing, people get a little nervous. They get defensive, sometimes with cause. Older models of evangelism that relied on guilt and fear and manipulation don't work so well anymore as ways to win people to Christ. And I question how effective a fear-driven, guilt-ridden, manipulated disciple can be in this world. Would any of us be interested in what that person was selling? Faith sharing begins with building a relationship and establishing trust. And then perhaps folks might be interested when we begin to explain to them the hope that is within us. To give an account of the joy that fills our heart. Faith sharing also involves going where folks are especially those who've not embraced the faith or those who are wrestling with it. The whole group of folks now that are referred to as nuns, no faith, never had any faith, not interested. How are we to reach the lost and those who are apart from the faith if we spend all of our time huddled up and not willing to break the huddle and play the game? And I mean that in a positive way. But I also know that faith sharing is not for the soloist, so to speak. We've got a choir, not just this amazing choir behind me, but we've got a choir of folks who will support us and care for us as we begin to share our faith. And we've got the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit promised to us until the final curtain falls. We're not on our own when it comes to sharing that faith. One more open window I want to mention is the opportunity to worship. Our passage for today concludes with these words. You heard them earlier. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praise over everything. Any excuse for a song to God, the Father, in the name of our Master Jesus the Christ. Worship is at the heart of the church. And without worship, our hearts grow weary and discouraged. And in the spirit of full disclosure... I struggle mightily with so many folk who stay away from worship on Sunday morning because there are so many other options, but that's another story for another day, and we keep talking and praying about that. But now back to the Dietrich Bonhoeffer detour. Bonhoeffer did some of his most impressive, most moving work from the confines of a prison cell, making the most of every opportunity. And he wasn't the only one. The Apostle Paul wrote many of his life-changing, transformative letters from the confines of a prison cell, making the most of every opportunity. Let's be careful when we start to complain about our circumstances limiting our opportunities. Amen.